Good morning. I'm Dr. Nidine Gonzalez de Jesus, San Antonio College President, and today we have the honor of speaking with full professor of psychology, D. Wallace. Welcome back to Front and Center, where we talk about San Antonio College news, trends in higher education, and the community, because we are the community. Joined here this morning with Dr. Nadine Gonzalez de Jesus, San Antonio College President. Good morning. Good morning, Headmaster. How are you? It's it's a fabulous day. It fabulous is. day. It is. It is indeed. And it is a great day because today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Dee Wallace. Good morning. Good Good morning. morning. Could you tell us a bit about the work that you're doing with us right now at San Antonio College? Yes, I'd be happy to. So I'm currently a professor of psychology here at SAC. I teach mostly our general psychology and lifespan growth and development courses. I teach um, in our honors program, our Austin Dare program, and I'm really excited for the first time ever for me, I am teaching in a cures program. So my general psychology course, so my students are participating in undergraduate research. So hopefully having some opportunities that they can take forward with them into their next levels of education. So that's a new endeavor for me. Um, but I'm really excited about it and figuring it out as we go. And I'm also the uh, faculty advisor for our psychology club here at SAC. And it's also very important to know that you are a licensed psychologist. I'm a school psychologist. I'm not practicing as a school psychologist. I'm not doing any type of counseling mm-hmm. or therapy these days, but that is my background as a school psychologist. And how long have you been at SAC? I've been at SAC. This is my 21st year. And That's I can't believe amazing. that I'm, I know, I can't even believe I'm saying that. I guess uh, time flies when you're having fun, they say. Absolutely. <laughs> fantastic. So let me ask you this. Um, I'm wondering in your 21 plus years at SAC, How many times have you seen fear in your classroom? Oh, my goodness. I think it's fair to say every day, right? Don't we all walk in um, to a place of higher education, right? I'm I'm very fearful right now, if I'm being honest with you. This is my (laughs) first uh, podcast. Um, So, you know, we have our our student population, our students who are oftentimes first generation, as I was. I, I very clearly remember not understanding, I tell my students the story that, um, you know, about it was probably the end of the first month of being at uh, Texas Lutheran where I did my undergraduate education. And I looked around trying to make some friends and thought I had a, a funny little joke and said, hey, isn't it strange how everybody's name here is Dean? And I didn't know it was a title. You know, the things we don't know as, as first-gen uh, sure. students. And so, you know, I, I relate to that. So I think that I see myself in so many of our students and just remembering that fear of, should I be here? Can I be here? Um, and then, you know, don't even get me started on the, the tests and the papers. And, you know, as soon as I say, you need to write this in APA format, and they look at me like, you know, so, so much of our job here is to help our students navigate that fear and understand how to use that as a sense of motivation and a sense of, of figuring out and navigating this new realm for them. And of course, you know, life overall causes us to have fears. So it's Absolutely. not just being a student. Yeah. Absolutely. So so what comes first? 
being stressed and a little bit of anxiety or fear? Uh, I'm going to say fear. I'm going to guess fear. Okay, so you think fear might make you anxious or anxiety might make you fearful or vice versa or both at the same time? I think the fear manifests itself into an anxiety Mm -hmm. and and that's what stresses you out sometimes maybe. Well, I know it does me, but. Yeah. Well, let's ask D. What comes first, fear yeah, or well, anxiety? We, if we get into the to the psychological theory of emotion, um, there's several different leading theories out there on emotion. And sometimes, you know, and we're all wired differently. So it's our past experiences. Part of it is genetic. But, you know, some of us sense um, fear right away, and that produces the anxiety. Absolutely. For some people, it is all happens at the same time. There's not really an order of it. And for others, they go through an event, they operate completely normally, and then, you know, five minutes later, 10 minutes later, an hour later after the stressor or the trigger has passed, then they feel the emotion Mm. of fear and anxiety. So it really kind of differs from person to person, but overall it's really important to understand that they are related, they're connected, are, we have a physiological response to stress as well as a psychological response to stress, and people are going to manifest those emotions differently. So, so let's talk about the physiological aspect of fear. Okay. Okay. How, what are some of the ways in which you've seen that play out? Okay. With your students. So let's kind of take it back a little further, if I may. Sure. And just think about fear. Fear is a primal instinct. You know, as humans we go back to, you know, our uh, evolutionary psychology perspective and this idea that it kept us safe. If we walked around just curious all the time, um, we wouldn't have the warnings, right, to know that we're putting our lives in jeopardy and we, we developed fear to survive. And so... We don't change that. You may have heard of that term as the lizard brain, which is this primal instinct to have fear and be afraid of things. And so we come equipped with that. Mm. And we haven't let go of that being human beings. Mm -hmm. And so as we get to modern day, Mm -hmm. and we know we still have that part of our brain and our nervous system, we have a sympathetic nervous system that is our flight fight and sometimes you'll hear it also as freeze Mm -hmm. response and everybody kind of responds differently so i'll take it there and look at that you know when we sense a trigger of fear Mm -hmm. those physiological responses you know we can measure them for some people that's an increase of heart rate for some people you know their blood pressure goes up we have something called galvanic skin response where we have a little perspiration you know you sitting somewhere and your hands start getting sweaty that's a physiological response of of fear and stress and then of course we have the hormonal response so our endocrine system and all those glands throughout our body start kicking in and start producing adrenaline and cortisol and so our body reacts to those stress hormones so it's a whole thing right and so we're operating probably already under a level of a physiological response to fears that we walk around with every day. And so it doesn't take much sometimes for it just to be a little trigger, and then you're kind of over the edge, right? You know, you've had a day where you're just on edge about something, and, you know, if we really slow down and think about it, oh, yeah, my heart feels like it's beating a little faster today, or my stomach is upset. So, But I think that that's the one part that we need to learn. We need to identify 
when we're feeling the anxiety, the stress, the fear, um, those are the times in which we can say, oh, wait a second, I'm feeling something is happening to me right now. What's causing this, right? And then begin to, to, to sense that and to also to question, where is the fear coming from? Oh, absolutely, right? And that's where so much of the research is leading today. You might know it as mindfulness, just this awareness right. of, of how I'm feeling, what's causing that feeling. Exactly. And we tie it back in psychology to emotional intelligence, all of that prefrontal right. cortex, right? And the more that we are, we are wired into our own emotional intelligence and our own mindfulness, the stronger we are to combat those feelings of fear and stress and anxiety. That's so inter interesting. When we talk about emotional intelligence, I begin to think about the way we come across, yeah, right? Yeah. And how others might perceive us and or receive us based on how we come across. So then if you don't know what makes you fearful, that fear will show up itself, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in ways that you don't even intend to. So when you're interacting with others, that stress and anxiety, it takes over you, which might in turn take over the way you come across. Oh, absolutely, right. And it, and it goes even like further than that that we have to think about, yeah. think about our nonverbals, right? Yes. Some people believe that 80% of communication is actually our nonverbals. Yes. You don't really believe what I'm saying, right? You're looking at my body. You're looking at my facial expression. Right. So if I'm sitting here and I'm stressed about something with my children or, you know, my finances or my housing, you know, thinking of our students and I and I have this look on my face yes. and you're taking it, per you know, I'm interacting with you and you're yes. taking it personal. You may not even realize right. that it's, it has nothing to do with this interaction. So part of that emotional intelligence is being able to keep all of that in check and being aware of our nonverbals as well as our own thought process. So right now, if I'm in the classroom, I'm thinking about how am I going to feed my kids? How am I, what am I going to eat that day? Um, where am I going to sleep? All those things are playing in the back of your mind while you're sitting there trying to pay attention to whatever is being taught, right? right. And, and it's the stress and the fear of the unknown all of that is playing out at the same time as your brain is trying to make sense of whatever they're trying to teach you. <laughs> and then we, we begin to think about, wait a second, this is the reason why we need to have wraparound services. Right, right. We need to make sure that our students have the resources that they need in order for them to be able to succeed. And one of those is mental health advising and counseling. Absolutely, absolutely. And we're so fortunate to have the Advocacy Center here on campus that yes. provides so many resources to our students. And I have had so many students come back after receiving services from the Advocacy Center and just talking about how it helped them and open their door to thinking about their own mental health. You know, we would, I'd be remiss not to mention that so many of our students come from from family backgrounds where 
there's not an emphasis on mental health. Oh, just get over it, right? Pick right. yourself up. Right. Uh, it'll be fine. You've got to be tougher. You're, ta- you're talking about abuse and you're talking about I mean, so many things that um, some of us have been through, right? And it's, and it's when you think about it, it's like, okay, I have to live life. I have to get over these things. But as I go, I, as I get over these things, I also have to learn how to manage myself as I go through these things right. because it's a, a process. Right. Right. It absolutely is a process. It's not a quick fix. Absolutely. So I heard you earlier um, before we started to speak this morning, you were talking about some stats. Could you say those stats again? Yes. So as we're talking about fear and anxiety here, I think it's important to realize that there's never been another time in American society where we have more people diagnosed with anxiety disorders than we do right now. So uh, some of the latest data that I found was that 31% of adults will experience anxiety in their lives. And so those are people that are telling us about that, right? right, who are coming forward. And that equates to about 19 million Americans who report having a phobia. 19 million. 19 million. And those are the ones that are reported. They talk about it. I'm wondering all those who do not say anything. And they are, they're going through this on their own. Right, right. So we have, you know, fear to say a mental health crisis in many ways. And the data is still coming out after COVID. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the pandemic and what everybody lived through and so many of those irrational fears that we might have had previously became reality. Absolutely. And so now, right, we're all sitting there thinking, what's next? If that could happen, what could happen down the road? Okay, so so we talked about the fear aspect, but what is an irrational fear? So an irrational fear is where we take our fear and it is out of proportion with reality. That's what makes it irrational. So if we if we take it back into you know psychological diagnosis and we look at the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that would be categorized as a phobia. So it can be a perceived fear. It can be part of our memory um, from the past. Or it could be something we've imagined. You know, how many times have we stay, stayed a night awake at night thinking? oh, gosh, this could happen tomorrow at work or, you know, this might happen with my kids. And it's completely made up in our minds. But we still worry about it. So that's a rational fear of worrying about things at a different level outside of the realm of reality. I've heard, for example, some folks, uh, they have a fear of uh, of getting wet. Right. uh, Or fear of being caught in the rain or fear of, um, I don't know. I mean, there's so many fears. So many, yeah. Claustrophobia. Claustrophobia, yes. Yes. Yeah, agoraphobia, arachnophobia, right? All those phobias. And and really when we look at it as a psychological diagnosis, we're saying, you know, just like you were saying, the fear of being wet or being rained on. Right. When it becomes a psychological diagnosis is where it prevents the person from living, quote unquote, a normal life. So they stop going outside. Right. Because I don't know when it might rain. You know, when I might a sprinkler might get me or something like that. So it really takes them outside of living their normal life and making adjustments to avoiding that irrational fear. So it inhibits them from doing their normal routines. So, so, so at which point then, um, 
do I know at what point should I then say, okay, enough is enough. This is affecting me. I believe I need help. At what point should a person say, I need help? When they realize they're not living their their normal life. They're, mm-hmm. they're going out of their way to avoid situations of that fear. And hopefully people do have that realization. It's back to that emotional intelligence and mindfulness I was speaking about earlier. And so if they key that in, and there is all type of help. There's cognitive behavior therapy. There's exposure therapy. There's medication for anxiety. There are some ways. And then, of course, you know, different forms of talk therapy where they can just rationalize their fear. And many, many people have success within moving forward outside of that phobia that they're experiencing. But what you said is so key. The first step is realizing. And so I think, you know, anytime someone realizes, wow, this fear is holding me back. I'm not taking chances. I'm not, you know, going for my goals. I feel different than I was, you know, five years ago and what I'm seeking in my life, that that may be a time to really evaluate and think about what's holding you back and what steps would be next in terms of dealing with that in terms you know, finding a mental health professional. Some folks that I know, for example, they've been in jobs for 10 and 20 years in the same role, in the same job for years. Mm -hmm. And they see position after position that opens up and they don't apply because of fear. Right. They don't apply because they're so used to doing what they've been doing and they're afraid of stepping out of the box. Right. Yeah. And responding to questions and, and, trying to dare right let me let me just apply and see what happens next but and what if we don't get that position and if we don't get that position then what happens i right? fail i failed and that's terrible <laughs> exactly but again it's that self-talk let's talk about self-talk now just for a bit okay, okay. what are what are your thoughts about self-talk as it pertains to increasing our sense of fear want to go back down that whole lane of mindfulness, which self-talk can be part of that, of just being aware where I'm at, and then just really weighing things out. I'm a huge proponent of like making a pros and cons list, not because I want you to see what score is higher and go with that as a decision, but it's the process of thinking through. Okay, what is, you know, what is the worst case scenario if I apply and I don't get it? So I don't get it, right? but at least I try, you know, and just... Talking to ourselves, we are so critical of our own. You know, you've heard it said we we're, are. We're our biggest critics. We are, aren't we, Hot Master? Uh, you, know, you know, I I am my <laughs> own worst critic when it comes to audio editing, and, and I've I, I have a very bad tendency that I think of the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If I see something on the floor that someone can trip on. My mind starts flowing with lawsuits and accountability and whatnot, and I rush to pick it up. Yes. Right. And so when we become our own worst critics, it's a double-edged sword. Absolutely. Because you're going to do things to where you're not going to invite that criticism in from anyone else. Right. At the same time, you're also limiting yourself. Right. 
And it's balancing it out. I think so many of the times we focus on the negative. We, we focus on the criticisms. You know, you've heard that you'll get 99 compliments and all you'll do is focus on that criticism. We need part of that self-talk back to your original question here is balancing out our ability to take the wins. Mm, to hear the rewards, right? Mm -hmm. If we are always having those, you know, cortisol and adrenaline and those hormones sending us messages, where's the serotonin and dopamine that's going to, you know, improve my mood. So, you know, hitting in into those rewards and celebrating our wins along the way, which I don't think many of us do. So being mindful of, I did a good job today, you know, and kind of giving yourself a pat on the back. And, you know, a lot of people will tell you doing a gratitude journal or something along those lines will help bring it to the consciousness because so much, again, we're focusing and what's, what's the script running in our head, all the things that could go wrong which we need, right? Like you need to prevent the the lawsuits of tripping over the courts. I mean, that's an important thing, but it shouldn't be all that we're focused on. What about taking it home with you at the end of a work day and you take it home with you? I don't know why, but it seems news and meetings happen on Thursday and Fridays and it stays with us the whole weekend. Oh my gosh, I do not like that whatsoever. (laughs) And then you play it over and over and over again in your mind. And then you say, wait a second, I should have said this. I should have stopped that. I should have thought about it. I should have, should have, would have, right? And when you think about it, it's like, wait a second, what am I doing to myself? The day is over. The meeting is over. It took place. Nobody else is thinking about it but me. <laughs> right. right. And, I, and I'm laughing at myself because right then we think we perpetuate it all yes. weekend long. And then we come ready like we're armed and ready on Monday morning, you know, and that person has let it go. And you're exactly. like, why am I all wrapped up? Why am you know, why am I at right. this level? So, again, that, you know, we could do a whole podcast on just that. How do we how do we unwind on Friday and let it go, you know, as we walk away from work? But it is so important. We should be able to walk away from certain things and not let them carry over into our weekend and our time with our family and our time to, you know, unwind because we we need to be ready on Monday morning and recharged. That's right. That's right. We need to recharge, Hot Mustard. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So no more self-talk about work on Saturdays and Sundays. No, not at all. Not at all. (laughs) Do other things. Good luck with that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, with that, I'm trying to find out exactly what are some of the things that I can do to, to control that sense of fear to control the level of stress and anxiety, to control uh, the things that I think about or my self-talk whenever that self-talk turns from good to bad to ugly, right? Right. And and this is what I tell my students. We're all going to deal with stress and to de-stress and, you know, work down our anxiety in different ways. For some people, that's getting it out physically, right? Because we've already talked about it having a physiological effect. So if my heart rate's already up and, you know, my blood pressure's already up, for a lot of people going for a really long walk or a run or, you know, some type of aerobic exercise, that's going to help them 
bring down that physiological effect, which will send the message to the brain, hey, we're relaxed. We don't have to worry about this anymore. For other people, it's different activities, being outside in nature. For others, you know, and I always I always give this, you know, there's a warning with this one, but shopping or, you know, going in window shopping or doing something that you enjoy. Window shopping, not shopping, but window shopping. That's going to bring up a leave, whole other. Leave your credit card at <laughs> yes, home. Yes. If you're not, if you don't have good self-restraint, then that's when that's it's not right. for you. <laughs> but um, being around friends and family, finding your support system, we all need to have our, you know, People around us that we know we can go to that are going to build us back up and and will hear our problems and know, I don't need you to fix it. I just need to vent to somebody to get it out. And mm. so finding, first of all, the key is what is my sign that my stress and anxiety and fear is rising in me? And hopefully you figure that out before the tipping point has happened. And then starting to just make time for it to de-stress and it should be built into every day even if you're not feeling the stress you know I love it's so hot is it ever going to cool down here but I love on the way home from work of rolling my windows down and playing a song I really enjoy I don't care if I look silly singing or you know what but it's just so that by the time I get home it's kind of like I've transitioned into a different part of who I am yes and you know so that's mine and just really working trying some trial and error finding out how that felt good after I did that activity you mentioned one thing that really caught my attention and that was when I talk about it I don't need someone else to try to fix it I just need that person to listen to me right and that's so important that's key So many times we're listening to others and what we're doing is we're trying to identify what to say next so that we can help them address Mm -hmm, it or mm -hmm. solve it. No, all they sometimes need from you is to listen. That's it. Empathy, right? It's so powerful, but it's also such a difficult skill to possess, you know, and and, we can work on it, but, you know, just like hearing somebody not sitting there thinking what is my comeback how am I going to make them feel better but just being in the moment with them gosh that sounds really difficult I'm sorry you're going through that is there anything I can do and that goes so far with somebody and somebody's emotional response to that person right so if you attend an Alamo college make sure to go to alamo.edu so that you can identify a list of counselors who will be able to assist you and help you out. Professor Wallace, Yes. thank you so much. Oh, you, you have been a blessing to us this morning. I've learned so much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. This is Front and Center, recorded at the KSYM Studios on the San Antonio College campus. Front and Center is available on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and airs Monday mornings at 8.30 on KSYM 90.1 FM in San Antonio. More information on Front and Center is online at ksym.org.